ways that, that some 2,000 years later, we don't have the exact times. And Easter is probably not the exact day that he passed. It's kind of hard as calendars change and as different things happen. I realize, I'm, I'm aware of that. I know that, that December 25th may not have any absolute significance with the actual birth of Christ. I'm aware of all of that, but we take those moments to celebrate them. And I'm perfectly fine with that. If we were to use, and remember the Jewish day, a Jewish day, they didn't count it like we do. We count days from, from 12 a.m. to 12, uh, basically, you know, 11.59 p.m. But in the Jewish calendar, their day went from sundown to sundown. And so what, would, what we would call a Thursday evening would actually be the start of their Friday, if you will. But if you were to look at a traditional calendar for the Passion Week, it would go something like this. Sunday was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Monday, Jesus cleansed the temple for the second time, overturning those, those uh, tables where the money changers were making a mockery of what was going on. Tuesday, Jesus had some controversies, and he did it on purpose with the Jewish leaders. Wednesday, it doesn't seem like much happened. Perhaps it was a day of rest. Thursday, they begin to prepare for Passover and you have all of the moments there. And Friday, you have the trial and the crucifixion. Saturday, Jesus rested in the tomb. And Sunday, Easter Sunday, Jesus raised from the dead. We serve an incredible God. When you look at all of that put together, it's a wonderful thing. Hallelujah. I want to, I, I, to be honest, I was sort of joking, and I'm, I'm halfway serious. I was joking with the media team, and I said, I don't really know a title for tonight. And to be honest, I don't have an ending. I got a decent middle, but I don't have much of an ending. So we're going to let God sort that out. Sometimes that happens. And uh, sometimes all Brother Perryman I have is an ending. And I don't even, you know, you just kind of do whatever because you know where the ending is. And sometimes I have just a beginning. And then sometimes I have got up here and said, Lord, you're going to have to help me because I don't have anything. I don't know that all of that is right, but it's the truth. And if you've ever preached or taught, you understand that, but... I don't exactly know where this is going to end, but I, I just felt that today if, if you peruse Facebook or if you had friends, chances are you know someone today that in their church they raise palm branches and they, they celebrated. Today is called Palm Sunday. And I want to I preach a little narrative, if you will, meaning I want to tell you the story of how that all plays out. Maybe pull some things you hadn't thought about. And if the only thing you get out of it is a fresh understanding of the last few days of Jesus, then so be it. But I do believe God is going to lead us to a place where we can go. It was that in Luke chapter 19 and verse 28, it's after Jesus had spoken and talked to some of those, and there he goes, and he is now heading to Jerusalem. The Bible says, and it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go over to the village against you, and there when you enter you will find a colt tied, whereon has never a man sat. I want you to loose that colt. I want you to bring him hither. And if any man asks you, Why are you loosing him? Just say to them, The Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, found even as he said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners came therefore and said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. Just on a kind of a side note, I preached a message about you better be really clear when the, when the Lord speaks to you. 
because I don't care how you, I, I read some commentary that said it was all planned, that Jesus had already talked to those people and he had got it all figured out, but those disciples didn't know that. In reality, those disciples were walking into a town and they were going to take a colt. In the West, that was frowned on. You hung a man if they stole a horse. And here's these disciples having to walk into town and saying, I'm going to take this. It would be akin to Jesus looking at you and saying, I want you to go over there in that neighborhood and you're going to see a Corvette right there. Just, just go. The keys are going to be in it. Just jump in it and, and start driving away. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say, oh, my master has need of the Corvette for a little bit. See how well that goes over. That's about how it went over there. Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem and he sends those two disciples. He sends them there. There's so much in the Bible that is just chock full of, of symbolism. And first off, it was not just any old cult. The word cult simply means the young, the offspring of, of some sort of a horse, or as we find out later, a donkey. And, and the reason was more so than just the Lord needed it. Can I just, can I just make this observation? I've read the Bible through, I've studied it, I've looked at it. Nowhere in the Bible do I ever find that Jesus rode any animal except this colt. Jesus seems to walk everywhere. In fact, the only thing I ever saw Jesus, or at least in the Bible, saw that Jesus ever rode was a boat. And all of a sudden, Jesus changes everything for this little colt. Hundreds of miles, I assume, he walked up and down. But now he gives that unusual command. Go get a colt. Not just any colt. A colt that's never been ridden. Now, I, just in case you belong to PETA, I don't want you to get this little idea that this was some cute little you know, three or four day old colt and here's a grown man going to jump on its back. If I understand horses and that appropriately, and, and those of you that know better, you can set me straight later. Dad, you can help me out. But if I understand correctly, most horses aren't even ridden until about two years old. Until they can have the strength to carry a man. And I've told you before, while I would never say I broke the horse, I've ridden a horse that's never been broken. And I, I, I did pretty good. First time, I lasted half a second. Second time, I lasted a little bit longer. And then finally... We just let him run, 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 and I don't really know how to stop him. I just had to let the horse get tired. I don't know that I broke him, but I understand it was kind of an interesting thought. Go get me a colt that's never been ridden. You know, it's interesting that the, riding, the, the, the decision that Jesus chose to ride into Jerusalem was not taken lightly. I, I read someplace that it may have been one of the hardest decisions that Jesus ever made save the cross was to ride there. It's because when Jesus chose to ride into the city of Jerusalem on a colt, it was a symbolic gesture that nobody would have missed. He was going to ride into the city as a king. Now, it may not be obvious to you and I. That's not something we would have thought about. But the symbolic nature of that would have resonated in those that were in Jerusalem. I would tell you today that 500 years previous or prior to the Palm Sunday, 500 years the prophet Zechariah had proudly rewrote and proclaimed the fact, and this is what he said in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Israel. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Zechariah would have been writing in a time of chaos, in a time of exile. Zechariah would have been writing when they've kind of lost their identity as a nation. They have been overtaken. And Zechariah is telling them, be watching because your king is going to come in on a colt. Now, I've been told, I don't, I don't have this knowledge, I've not seen it. We kind of have gotten away from this. But they tell me that in those time periods that if a king, if a, 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 a ruler had been victorious in war, they had conquered, they would ride into that town on a chariot or a prancing stallion that's just a fine-looking beast. They would come in all of its majesty, but in times of peace, Kings would ride on a colt to tell us that peace had prevailed. And so it was that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem proclaiming peace. I find it very interesting, and we'll get to it a little bit later for sure, but I find it very interesting that the book of Luke starts the Gospels with the angels proclaiming peace on earth, goodwill to men. Later on in this study, in, in, in this uh, series of verses, you're going to find that now it's not peace on earth, but it's peace in heaven. Jesus came proclaiming peace. This was the day, it was starting the beginning of that eight-day Passover festival. They were gathering. It was one of those, uh, the Jewish men were required to, to go at least once in their lifetime for the Passover. And many of them at that point would have made that trek. And so it was that they were remembering the deliverance that God had given their ancestors from Egypt's bondage and slavery. And all over the known world, Jews were streaming into Jerusalem. It was not just Jesus walking in. No one would have known. There were in every corridor, in every gate, people were coming. We know later that Pontius Pilate was there. We know that Herod was there. Jesus approached them and was there in front of them in, in that trial. But as I begin to research and study, I find that, that Pontius Pilate probably did not live in Jerusalem all the time. He was there specifically for the Passover he had come and he was this Roman government. Now, now he probably didn't believe in the Passover too much, but Pontius Pilate had come and he was there at the Antonia Fortress in the Praetorium. He would have had around him an elite battle-hardened group of Roman soldiers that were ready at any moment to quell an uprising or to put down any type of rebellion against Roman rule. He was there. He was prepared. He was there to look out and see what was happening. Herod and Titipus. Tetrarch, the king or the ruler of Galilee, the same one that had imprisoned and beheaded John the Baptist, would have rode in with great pomp and circumstance, another parade, if you will. He would have gone to the palace of his father, Herod the Great, and he would have been there, and he was there just to kind of revel in all of the circumstances and pomp there. Other people, other great men would have been. It would have been the equivalent of a red carpet day. This group coming, this group coming, another one coming. They were seeing it and all of a sudden in the midst of all of that pageantry, Jesus arrives coming on a donkey, a little cold. For the crowds that lined that road that day, something began to well up within them. They would begin to respond. And it was curious. I, I know Jesus was doing this for, for a purpose. Nothing that Jesus did was uh, he didn't do it just perchance or by happenstance. 
Jesus was walking in, I, I know there were some that laughed. There were some that knew he wasn't a king. He was a carpenter's son. There were some that would have, have said, you're, you're kind of you know, too big for your britches, Lord. And they would have watched him walk in and they would have laughed him to scorn. They did it before in his ministry. Some would have said, and I, I heard it read, they would have, they, they kind of was paraphrasing it and, and trying to imagine what it would be like. And I read somewhere that they said people probably thought he was a lunatic living in a world of fantasy, imagining himself to be king. But others would have greeted him with anger. Some would have saw it as blasphemy, as arrogance against God. There were those, and, and, and we find out later in Scripture that the rulers and the Jewish leaders, they were wanting to put Jesus to death, and in their mind, in their heart, they wanted to wait till after the Passover. But their plans are not God's plans. And God has always designed it to be a lamb slain. And so God designed it. To be honest, God pushed those leaders to move up their time frame. And, and the reason he was crucified on Passover was because he wanted to be that lamb. But there were those that would have been angered. But many would have seen him as that herald earthly king. There were those that would have said, this is the day. This is the moment that we haven't had a king like King David for a long, long time. It's time for the, for the, the lineage of David to rise and a king to come and overthrow the Roman Empire. There were those that were ready to put the crown on his head and follow him completely. In that crowd, there would have been those that Jesus had healed. In that crowd, there would have been thousands upon thousands that he had fed with just a few loaves and fishes. In that crowd would have been there those that the Bible said listened as he spake with authority. In that crowd were those whose lives had been changed to Mary Magdalene, Zacchaeus. And Jesus knew it. But he also knew just over the horizon loomed a cross. And in spite of all of that, the word of God said he set his face and he resolutely went to Jerusalem. I can see it now. It's a happy time. Passover was a good time. It, it, it's about like the, in a spiritual sense, and I use that more like in just the religious fervor, but it would have been the equivalent of a, of a, a, a St. Louis fair or uh, what happens down on Main Street. It would have been a good time. They'd have had food and, and cotton candy machines and peanut brittle going or whatever they do at those types of festivals. It was a fun time. Nobody's working. All the work is called off. All of the school is called off. It's a holiday. They're enjoying that. And Jesus rides toward the gate of the city. Crowds are growing. They don't even realize Jesus is coming, but it's Passover. But as it's prone to do, you, all you have to do is go back to that blind Bartimaeus. And word travels fast on those crowded streets. Coming from the Mount of Olives comes Jesus. And, and have you heard the news? If you look back in Luke, you find that just a few days perhaps before this, Jesus had stood in front of a tomb and he had opened that tomb and called out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Can you imagine the buzz that went around as they begin to say, hey, that one that, that stood in the tomb and called out Lazarus' name and Lazarus came and they, they unbound a dead man that had been dead so long he stunk. And when they unbound him, he was there. I saw him. I, I, I knew when Lazarus died, I was at his funeral. But I was there at the tomb when Lazarus arose and Jesus is coming. That same Jesus. 
I, I can hear it. And, and maybe Zacchaeus was there. Maybe blind Bartimaeus was there. I don't know. Maybe there were lepers that said, hey, I was there when my skin was all white and leprous. But now look, it's as smooth as a baby's skin. Jesus is coming and down the road, the, the mood changes. And finally, great crowds had gathered on both sides of the road. They had climbed up the palm trees and stripped them bare. They had gone everywhere they could to grab branches and palm leaves. And they began to shout as Jesus came, Hosanna to the king. Incredible as Jesus parades in front. Jesus, the master sees every, um, every different emotion you could possibly imagine. The anger, the excitement, the skepticism. Lazarus is there. Mary and Martha's there. There's sinister faces waiting for him to make one wrong word or one wrong move. The Sadducees, the Pharisees are there. They want so bad to just get Jesus out of the picture, but the problem is they're threatened. They see all of the crowds and they dare not do it there. The Romans, ever present on the edge of the crowd and now probably walking through the crowd as a police force, fearing revolt, watching for any sign of rebellion. Jesus, as much as he would have been moved by those hosannas, realized it wouldn't be less than a week and those glad faces shouting hosanna would begin to cry crucify. He was there. I'd have to... I have to go and, and, and tell you a little bit about something I read from a, a pastor by the name of Melman Newman who, who sort of fleshed this out. And I like what he talked about the disciples. He said, this, this is what, what, how he imagined it. Pastor Newman said, he imagined that Peter was walking with chest expanded. Enjoy in the crowd. He had one hand on his sword, just kind of, I'm there to protect Jesus. I'm Jesus' personal bodyguard. You know, later he was willing to use the sword, and you can see it. And maybe he turns to those other fishermen, and he said, you know what? I'm glad we left our nets. I kind of had my doubts every once in a while if leaving our nets and our livelihood would pay off. But, ah, look at this. It's paid. Oh, you got Thomas there, always skeptical, kind of walking with it, but looking around. Pastor Melman said Andrew was there, overwhelmed with it all. Andrew was so used to getting people one by one. He, he wasn't the master of the mass uh, uh, you, you know, invitation. It was the simple things. And now all these people are there. James and John, maybe they were thinking, hey, I can't wait for Jesus to be crowned king because when Jesus is crowned king, then really I can be on the right or left hand of God. Judas was there. Judas was loving every bit of this. Judas could only see the position and, and there wouldn't be a club in town, if you will, that Judas wouldn't get access to if he was part of the king's court. And all of a sudden, the whole procession ground to a halt. Much like rush hour traffic, if you've ever been there, you're going around and then all of a sudden it stops and you don't know why and you slam your brakes so you don't hit the person in front of you. A chain reaction, Jesus doesn't move. He doesn't take a step. He's just looking. You can hear somebody in the back, hey, what's the hold up up there? I don't know. Jesus is there. Those that were closest to him realizes that it's he that stopped this procession. Again, I'm using my imagination. I'm just trying to paint the picture. 
I can almost see his shoulders begin to shake. Some may thought he was laughing, overcome with emotion. They realized he's not laughing, he's crying. In fact, he's not just, it's not just tears, it's sobbing. One commentator said that, that two times we find in the Gospels that Jesus wept. The first one was when, when Lazarus died and and, and Jesus loved that family and he, he wept. But this was different. This was a Jeremiah the prophet type weeping. This was not just a, a quiet uh, a moment. This was a lamentation. This was a cry. He sobs. He groans. There. Why was he crying? It's because he was surveying all of Jerusalem. He was surveying the masses. A mixture of faces. He realized, let me take you back before I get too far in this. I, I want to take you back. Let me read to you from the Bible and then we'll go back to putting it into perspective. Would you turn to Luke chapter 19 and, and would you turn there to verse 30, uh, 35. This is after Jesus gets the colt. Verse 35 of Luke chapter 19 says they brought the colt to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and set Jesus their own. And as he went, they spread their coats in the way and when he came nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen. And they said, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees among the multitude said, Master, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered and said unto them, I tell you that if they should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, if you had even known at least in this day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they're hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon you that thine enemies shall cast a trench around you and compass thee around. And keep thee on every side, and they shall lay even with the ground, and the children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou not knewest the time of thy visitation. And Jesus went to the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein, and said to them that brought, saying, It's written, My house is called the house of prayer, but you made it a daily, or you made it a den of thing, thieves, and he caught thought, and he taught daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes of the people sought to destroy him and could not find that they might do for all of the people were attentive to them. It was that, that, that I can hear the angels as they cried there on that, that uh, Christmas morning, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And now Jesus comes on this Easter season and he's here and he begins to sob and he begins to cry because they don't understand what is going on. Own. Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he says, oh, if you would have only known what this day could have brought you. If you would have only known what my coming into this town would have been. John said it best. He came to his own and his own received him not. Jesus says, I'm here today and I could have brought you peace. But you don't see with the eyes of the Spirit. Day's going to come. You know, Jesus, he was, he was looking behind. He was looking at all of Israel. And as he looked behind in the past, he saw a nation that was absolutely in a downward spiral. As far away from God as they have ever been. 
they had become a nation that just did what they were supposed to do, but their hearts weren't right. That's why they were selling in the temple. It, and there was no power anymore. If he looked around, he would have seen people who had every understanding of what they thought was happening, but not a clue. And if he looked ahead, he would have seen the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus said, and, and I, I heard it, and I, I don't know, I, I've tried to find this out. I only found it in one spot. But I watched one commentator say that the reason they waved palm branches was it represented swords and shields. That it was a way for them to celebrate a victory. And for those that day, they were hoping he would be the conquering king. I don't know if that's exactly true, but I know their attitude was such. They were wanting that to happen. They wanted Jesus to show up and be just another conquering hero, throw Rome out and set the stage, and they were ready to do whatever it took. But they had already forgotten that Jesus said, I didn't come for that purpose. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for them that persecute you. They had already missed it. And it's just like you and I, if we just read one verse in the Bible, we miss it. But when you start stringing it all together, and now that we're on this side of the Bible, we see how it all fits. Kind of like that, you know. Jesus said, if someone wants to strike you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. If somebody forces you to go a mile, go two. And I'm sure those that heard it thought, ah, oh, that sounds good, but I don't think you mean Rome. You mean like for my dad or for my grandpa or my best friend, but no. Jesus said, I've come to show you peace. And they missed it. He sits there on that, that beast of burden. And there he looks at a temple silhouetted by the sky and realizes that in just a few years ahead, a temple will no longer be standing. The army of Titus will surround that city and they will, they'll encompass that city and put it to siege and bodies will be in the streets and blood will run and thousands will starve while Jerusalem waits for surrender. Another place records earlier, Matthew and Luke both record another place where Jesus stood on a hilltop above Jerusalem and cried out like this, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. How often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Palm Sunday started so epically and ends so tragically. Because those that shouted Hosanna, I, I think the problem is the same problem that you and I have when we're in the presence of God. We get consumed by our own circumstances. We fail to see the big picture. So busy with life and so busy with the things going on that we fail to recognize who he really is. He was coming not just to save Jerusalem. He was coming not just to, to save some Jews that had backslidden from a Roman rule. He said, I've come to seek and to save all that was lost. If Jesus would have stopped the procession and picked up a sword and began to fight, and, and maybe he could have done it, maybe he would have freed them, it would have been a temporary fix. But instead he went to a cross 
so that you and I, not Jews, could have salvation. And so I ask you this question today. When, when Luke opened the gospel, and I mentioned it earlier, he opened with those angels saying, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then now we approach the end of the gospels. And it's not peace on earth. They called it, and they were right. They didn't understand it, but they were right. They said peace in heaven. See, Jesus came, and, and if, if, the, if, if Jerusalem and the Jews would have accepted him for who he was, if there would have been no John, you know, John chapter 1 that said he came to his own and he received him not, if that would have read he came to his own and they gladly received him and they listened, life would have been infinitely better. Perhaps Jerusalem wouldn't have been destroyed. But they missed it. So now the goal is not peace on earth. The goal is peace in heaven. That's why the book of Romans, Paul says that, that, that through our salvation we can have peace with God. I'm going to ask you this question, and I, I told you I don't really know how to end it. But I, I want to just simply ask you this as you stand. If you've been here at the church for any length of time, you know I love praise and worship. I love giving God glory. I love services that just have that freedom of worship, and I'm so thankful. I would have fit right in with that Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna. I would have told you the reason I'm worshiping him is because if I don't worship the king of kings, those rocks are going to cry out. I'd have fit in well there. I would have fit in well throwing my coat down so that he could walk. I would have fit well climbing the palm tree and stripping a branch or two off. But I wonder today if Jesus looks at all of our worship, I wonder if he ever stops, peruses the lives that are here, and I wonder if there's any tears in what he sees here. Does he weep because we don't truly see him for what he is? We want a fixer. We want to make my life good right now. We want to, here's my need, just answer my need. Or do we see him as the Messiah? And so I wonder, what does he see when he passes through our worship? And I do think tonight, I, I hope and pray he's not weeping for what he sees. I would like to think that it's with joy he peruses this. And he says... They understand. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Palm Sunday teaches us a lot. You can't get to the cross without Palm Sunday. You can't get to the cross without worship that sometimes doesn't have a clue of what really lies on the other side of Golgotha's hill. What does he see when you worship? Just close your eyes for a moment. I trust that through the telling of, of, of the, the narrative of Palm Sunday, I trust that God has spoken to you. And I want us just to make sure that when we worship, the Bible says we ought to worship Him in spirit and in truth. To say, Lord, I worship you because you've allowed me to see who you really are. I don't worship you just because you've touched me here or there. I don't worship you because I want something. I worship you because you're the King of Kings. 
God, I'm much more concerned about you being the king of all creation than just some king of Jerusalem. Lord, I want to see the future. I want to see the ultimate price that you paid. God, I want to be the one that can worship you all the way to the cross and beyond. Would you lift your voice? Would you lift your hands? In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.